1: They're so good, they make us want to sing like... I can't believe it. Burger King made a grill dog. Made with 100% me Flame grilled anytime you want. This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the Dollar Grilled Dog deal and get a classic grill dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Guru, your host, so happy to have you with us. I realized that we hadn't talked with Arturo Galletti of Box Score Geeks since the moratorium and all the craziness that has happened with this summer, so he and I were talking and we decided to do a podcast, and it was funny because we originally were talking about doing about 45 minutes, and it ended up being that we talked for an hour and 45 minutes, so went on a lot of different topics. It cut down to an hour 30, so it's still hefty. But we went on all sorts of different topics, from the, the off-season, lots of stuff on the Cavs, to way to build teams, to do rotations and everything. It was a really fun conversation. The only disclaimer I have to put on it is that while neither of us heard it while we recorded, for whatever reason, the actual audio file had a clicking that is pretty frequent. It's a couple times a second. And I was able to reduce it a little bit with the tech that I have, but not all the way so it is there I apologize and I tried to do other things to reduce it but you couldn't hear the conversation well enough to make it worth it so I completely understand if it bothers you enough that you're uncomfortable listening to it however the conversation itself is wonderful so if you stick with it I feel like it's worth it and some people that I've sent it to as we were trying to figure out what was wrong with it thought that you eventually can ignore it but there is a clicking I wanted to let you know but it was a great conversation. Love having Arturo on, and so hopefully you like it too. Thank you so much for coming on. Nice to be on. It's been a while, so I figure we might as well start with. We don't need to get too into nuts and bolts unless you want to. But your thoughts, any prevailing thoughts on the off season so far?
0: I think it's been interesting. It's been an interesting journey to say the least. I think you know uh, it was fun when it started with uh, you know uh, LeBron's wife putting that post on Instagram about going back home, and, and, and it was just kind of ridiculous to watch all the Miami fans who kind of fell all over themselves, and they just couldn't quite believe LeBron would walk away. And it's not like LeBron had actually walked away before from somebody. It's like, you know, he, he wouldn't do it to us, right? And, and just from there on, I mean, I think it's been very interesting because it, it's been a significant shift in power, at least in the East, uh, as it's going to wind up. And it's also kind of one of those deals where, like, You know, where people's kind of misconceptions about what makes a team good versus what actually makes a team good have run into themselves. Because the the whole Wiggins and and, and Love argument is kind of, you know, a a misunderstanding about, like, money in hand versus, you know, actual real value. So we know that Kevin Love is a top five or top ten guy, depending on how you define it. We think that that Wiggins might be a a, a top five or top ten guy in five years. If you've got LeBron and he just came to play with you and he's 30 years old or he's getting close to 30, you take the guy who's a top five to top ten guy, you pair him with him. Because look at the domino effect. They got him. They got Marion. They got uh, Ray Allen. They, they, they have, I mean, basically they have on paper a team that should be the easily the best in the East. I mean, again, I think they, they have some issues around big men that you need to figure out. But, you know, the kind of problems they're having is the kind of problems that, you know, take you from 55 wins to maybe 65 wins. Uh, as opposed to, like, if they have Wiggins, where, like, you know, if it doesn't quite gel, then you might be looking at a team that's, like, you know, struggling to get home court in the east. You know, wins 45 games, struggling to get home court in the East. Now, again, that's, given that you have LeBron James, it's kind of a hard sell, but, but, but it's interesting. And I think the, the hidden story has been that, man, those Western teams are good. And not only are they good, but, like, even the teams that were, like, on the fringe in the West, have actually gotten better. I think we'll talk about this a little bit, but there's there's one team in particular out west that we I think we both like. And man, you know, you know, as much as I like him, I don't know how I give him a play. Like who am I? Who am I like taking out of the playoffs to give him a chair? It's
1: a very interesting thing. I was actually on radio today in Portland, and they were they asked me, you know, what moves from the offseason stood out to you, and you you hit on it. And the one that that said is it feels like people are underestimating how good Kevin Love is. And as somebody who lives in the Bay Area and who covers the Warriors and who had to who has continually dealt with these arguments of people saying, Oh, you can't trade Clay Thompson, he's a two way player and all this stuff and I said the arg- the argument that basically stopped most of them in their tracks not saying, you know, it's definitive or anything is a best case scenario for Clay Thompson would be that he is as good as that he ends up being as good as Kevin Love is now. And Andrew Wiggins, it's basically the same thing. While they're very different players well, and, you know, if they're reaching the same total in win shares or PER or overall impact, both the Warriors and the Wolves in this case would be over the moon if their guys got to be as overall good as Kevin Levis. Yeah,
0: actually, and one thing I'll say is I've, I've spent an ungodly amount of time kind of pouring over the numbers this season uh, or this offseason in the sense of, like, I've been looking, you know, I've been building my own metric. I've been doing stuff uh, kind of people have asked me questions that may or not have been like for profit, right? And, and I've also kind of been building our database for that. And I think the, the Clay Thompson question is really interesting because people kind of argue the defense, but you have to start looking at it. Kevin Love gets a bad rap on defense. And I, I think one of the things people don't understand is that the, the way the T-Wolves actually set up their defense was specifically not to challenge people at the rim, right? This is their strategy that they were actually going for because Adamant didn't want to give up fouls underneath the basket, right? So they weren't getting physical with people at the rim, which means like the, the post numbers are kind of a little bit inflated. But when you start looking at it, like it breaks out that he's not a great defender, but he's not a bad defender. He's about, and again, I've done the number from from one to hundred. He rates about a sixty, which means he's a little better than average when you combine everything else. But then when you look at Clay, what's really interesting about Clay is Clay is also kind of in that range, but the caveat being that Clay is playing probably next to the best wing defender in the league and arguably the best rim defender in the league in Ingudala and Bogut. So playing next to these two guys, right, who are really fantastic defenders and who are dragging up the rest of their should be dragging, or typically what they, these guys do is they'll drag up the defense, and he's also not getting the roughest, the toughest defense in the assignment because that's either going to, to Iggy or to Bogut. So if you're in that system and your numbers don't line up as kind of an elite-level defender or something like what you see on a guy for, like, you know, on the Pacers or something, then I got to kind of go with like, well, you're arguing defense for clay and I don't see it. And I think I have this this bias, which is a very simple bias. You always trade small for big, because at the end of the day, if I can get a skilled big man, right, there is almost no scenario where having a skilled big man is not better than having a skilled small man, right? Particularly if they're in similar age groups. Right. It,
1: it, yeah, it, and they're 18 months apart in age, so it's not like they're it's not like one is 20 and one is 25. They're I believe it's 18 months apart.
0: To the point, I think I've this I have made the argument. I'm not a big fan of of Deion Waiters. I understand, like for example, that like and I think LeBron actually like kind of tweeted him and he likes him and whatnot. But if I'm Cleveland and, and I, I'd be on the phone trying to see if I can get a decent backup big for for Waiters, right? Because I would be too. Because as whatever you think of Waiters, the biggest flaw for that team right now is. You need an extra big like maybe they can come up with him with some other way, but that's kind of a flaw. And, and, and you just don't see players like Kevin Love. And We're, we're going to get to see him with, with, with LeBron. And I think people are going to be kind of it's going to be insane. He is going to pass a 90 like he's going to pass a 90 foot pass from one end of the court to the other. Illegal, but some point in the season right it, it, it's it's going to be kind of crazy some of the stuff that's actually going to happen with those two guys playing together yeah. is going to be kind of insane
1: a story that i'll tell because uh, i went to i went to ucla though i had graduated by the time kevin went there and something i saw i believe it was in the ncaa tournament i saw it in person i'm not sure i would have believed it otherwise i saw him doing what is his outlet pass so basically a long chest pass from his own free throw line and making shots I didn't see him make just one, I think it was two or three. And it was it was insane. I mean, I'm not saying oh you should shoot that as a as a shot. But somebody who has the skill to be that accurate with it is absolutely incredible. And as you were saying, the other part of the small for big, and this is a topic we might get into later, I'm hoping to, is that even if let's say Kevin loves his sixty on defense and you go, Oh, that that's bad and you know or it's not great more accurately, he's a power forward. I believe that rim protectors are essential for uh, quality NBA defense. It's just one of my things. But you're probably not going to be getting that from your power forward unless your power forward is named Serge Ibaka. So he is deficient in a way that is easily remediable. You know, you can, do, you can deal with that. It's not like he's a center that can't play defense or he's a point guard who can't run an offense like George Hill. He is weak in a way that teams can handle it, and the ultimate irony of that is, is that the team that is the most adept at handling a bad defensive power forward is the Golden State Warriors? Well,
0: and, and again, here's here's what's really interesting about this. So, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, it's not like David Lee is a is a world beater on defense. In fact, he's he's actually everything that everybody's complaining about, like in a panic mode about about Kevin Love on defense. Dave, David Lee is that and more. And again, I think the 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 thing people think think about this. So, what's going to be Cleveland's crunch time five who's playing the big spots for Cleveland the crunch so let's say arguably they roll out LeBron Kevin Love and Varajal right so those are the three that they roll out in like the big positions I'm not too worried about those three guys covering the post right who in the east is, is making Cleveland pay for playing those three guys in the post
1: yeah I mean incidentally I mean in some ways the best matchup for them would be I mean the hardest matchup for them would be the heat but even that, I'm not, I'm not thinking Chris Bosch is going to make anybody devastated because I think I just, one of the – if maybe if I, Jonas Valanciunas does something, but who knows?
0: I, I put LeBron – you put LeBron on Bosch and laugh all the way to the bank and, and make, him, make him go to the post and then double up on the post on him. I mean, I think – again, I, I don't think that it's going to be a major issue, particularly with the scheme they're going to run. And I think Again, I think what's going to be interesting is that I think that team, that Cleveland team is going to run a hell of a lot of small ball, particularly now that they've got Miller. I think it's going to be interesting if, you, if you've got a Miller, LeBron, Kevin Love, Waiters, and Kyrie lineup, or maybe uh, the Ledova, that that's, that's going to be kind of interesting. I mean, even Ray. I mean, you put Ray, and Ray's just going to be, have so many open looks on that team. And, and you can have, yeah. have Ray and Miller on the floor with, like, Kyrie, uh, LeBron, and K-Love. And, and and how many open looks are those two guys going to get? It's, it's, it's going to be a really, really interesting front team to watch.
1: And while I didn't watch a ton of David Blatt's team in the last couple of years in Europe, I did watch the final, the early final. And... One of the things that I noticed was that even though I didn't know a ton of their players, it seemed like his offense was getting generating really good looks against a Real Madrid team that was pretty good. I mean, Nikola Mirotic is the guy that I know the most on that team, and he's not a great defender. But, you know, they had lots of talent. Real Madrid was the, was the more talented team of those two. Mm-hmm. But there's something to be said for a guy who can do that. And as other people have said, you know, if it doesn't work, then you get a new coach. Big whoop. You know, you can do that. Dave, Dan Gilbert can pay somebody else. But the question that I wanted to ask you, you're talking about Kevin Love being a 60, let's say, on defense from what, from 0 to 100. Does that 60 take into account how good a defensive rebounder he is?
0: Yes, yes. It
1: does. Yeah, because that's a huge thing. Because I, I think that especially when we're talking about power forwards and my stance that defense doesn't matter as much for them as, let's say, centers, is that he ends a lot of possessions. And while he might end some of those possessions because he's playing the rebound instead of adequately contesting the shot – there is an intense value to that, and there is an intense value to being better at that than your than your counterpart. Why not? You know, being a really good rebounder is important.
0: And again, what I, what I'm saying is basically, you know, a power horse playing Kevin Love perform on average slightly worse than they do on an on, on an average night. Which is, you know, I mean, he's as I said, you're not getting him for his defense, but his defense ain't bad. And and again, the point I was making is he was very specifically were playing a style of ball where they were not challenging and not being physical at the rim that was the style they were playing that you know so basically they were giving up post play versus some other things that they were covering so it, that kind of plays into what you see in terms of the numbers and i think it's going to be interesting when you put him in a different system how that's going to play out i'm not saying he's going to morph into a world class defender but he's not David Lee, you know, and, and yeah. you know, David Lee famously nicknamed by Kirk Goldsberry, the Golden Gate. Right. So and, and again, I've seen David Lee play live and I've I, I've never seen. I mean, it was, it was a really interesting. I saw him and, and two things jumped out at me. I think Steph Curry is ridiculous in terms of if he gets any space, any space at all. You just feel like he's going to make every shot. And uh Avery Bradley was covering him in that game. Avery Bradley was a really good defender. And then you look at what was going on, on the other side. Anywhere that David Lee was, you were expecting the man who was like, you know, who was being covered by David Lee to score. It, it was just one of those things that you, you just watch it, and you get this feeling that like he he was just completely uninterested in in covering anybody.
1: And well, as, as you know, I've watched a lot of him because I cover the Warriors. And I think that I, I agree with you that there was this expectation. I think he got a little bit better this past yeah. year. But he, but a little bit better is, you know, that going from terrible to shaky or bad is that. And the other factor you were talking about it with Dion Waiters that I think is going to be very fun to see with the Heat, or not the Heat, the Cavs, is how these guys, Kyrie and Waiters and various other people on this team, Kevin Love to a point that have had the ball in their hands a lot, how they adapt to a situation where they have different shots and different responsibilities. And I think for the most part, they'll do well. I mean, we have the general expectation that when usage goes down, efficiency goes up. But we'll have to see mentally, you know, if one of, if one of those guys, and I assume it would be Waiters, doesn't adapt well to that, then that would be another reason to move them for somebody who makes more sense. My biggest
0: problem with Waiters is they're, they're, I, I've yet to see, I mean, Here's the problem. He wasn't a starter in college, and he couldn't get to start in college. He's been, you know, let's say, he's been not good in, in the pros so far. Now, I get that he's a young player, but, but I don't know that he's magically going to become something he's not. I'm not saying he doesn't have the physical gifts, but I have seen no indication. I mean, he's a guy, like, so far in two years, he's, what, a 42% shooter? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that I see him kind of magically becoming this, this incredible player. And that's why I said, like, look, if, if I was offered the right thing for him, God, I mean, you know, I, I'd move him in a heartbeat because he doesn't fit the needs for that team, right? And, and, and again, I, I, I'm, I argue, and, and I have this argument all the time, that, you know, there, there isn't a lot of value to be had at the guard positions. I, I mean, there, there, there are a couple guys who are, like, above and beyond everybody else. And after that, I, I I really wouldn't pay guards. I, I mean, I think, and I was arguing this with the Dave Barry action. I was like, you know, he was like, no, but like he, he's like, i was saying like I wouldn't pay any guard the max money or like rare, it's a rare guard. I pay the max money. He's like, no, but you would pay Curry, Harden, and I think Chris Paul is the other name he said. I said, yeah, that's exactly those. Those are the three guards I'd pay. Everybody else, basically, you know, I think is 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 pretty interchangeable. I mean, look at the look at the point guards and shooting guards. I mean, like. You know, there isn't a super excellent shooting guard right now in the league. And I think point guard, there's, there's like, you know, you can't throw a ball without hitting a great point guard on a team right now. And, and again, it, 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 Paul Curry, Harden, that's it. And, and even Harden has some warts on his game. I think Harden has some warts, and, and Curry has the fact that his ankles are, are, are made of tofu. And then Paul isn't the guy he was, and, and you kind of have to kind of baby him because he'll get hurt. So... I mean, after that, I mean you, know, you can you can get to the Westbrooks, and I think Westbrook is interesting because Westbrook I always thought would think Westbrook is out of position, and I think we're actually gonna get to see what happens when you actually play him off the ball this year right but but again, there isn't that that guy, so if you have the on waiters right, and there's a team that says, you know hey, I'm gonna give you these great bigs for him back, then you really have to think about it so let me throw something so let's say you could get you know, something like, I don't know, Denver or, or Toronto to offer you some decent bigs that they have on those rosters, or like Detroit. What, what if Detroit offers you Greg Monroe? I mean, that's, you, you really have to think about it because, again, the, the, the trick for that that the Cleveland team is if, if I'm thinking I want to beat San Antonio, whoever comes out of the West, I, I, I kind of need a little big man to do that. I, I don't think you're going to be able to go small against a team like San Antonio or Oklahoma because if you do, their, 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 their small ball is going to be way better than yours.
1: You hit on an interesting point with the guards. The way that I've phrased it for years now is that I feel like having a point guard is important to have a good offense. I think we're learning that with the Pacers. However, there is an overabundance in terms of supply. Well, so while it is important it is easily available so when something is important but easily easily available it's kind of like the water for diamonds economic theory you know just because something is important doesn't necessarily mean you have to pay a ton for it if it's around who is and i mean I, me, isaiah thomas
0: go ahead but let me ask you a question who is the best point guard in this century since like the turn of the century who is the best point guard on a championship team
1: I'd have to think about it offhand, I, but the thing for me about it is I don't think championships are a great way to measure that. I think that championships are measured by elite talents, and there just aren't that many elite talents that have been point guard size. Well, I, I mean, I, me, I think I
0: think I think probably the like best, Magic.
1: I think I would I would argue
0: that. Well, I mean, again, Magic is a special case because he was like, you know, he was he played center in his first finals, for God's sake. I would say that I think Jason Kidd is probably the best one that is actually like been to repeated finals and won it. And, and, and Kidd, again, Kidd, if you look at his numbers, is, is historically kind of great in terms of court awareness and what he did, but 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 he's a very special – like he's on the extreme end of that curve. But if you start looking – and, again, you, he had, like, more failures than the success in the, at that stage. And, and the point being, as I said, I mean, unless he's – you know, the league is kind of about the short supply of tall people, and I, I think I've said this before on this podcast, but but it's true – and you should always be thinking about, can I get a skilled big man? Which is you know, bringing us back full circle. If you can get Kevin Love on your team and you can put him together with LeBron James, yeah, you do whatever you need to do to make that happen.
1: Yeah, I I think that there's definitely something you said. I mean, my my stance on championships themselves is that I always think of it as, on the truly elite, the best of the best, I, I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I think it's only like six or seven teams in the last 40 years have won a championship without a player who had already won an MVP, and as we know, there have been very few MVPs that have been point guards. So, you know, it's, but anyway, that's a separate issue, and I completely agree with you on big over small. I think that's definitely the case, and big over small leads us into the team that you alluded to before that both of us really like, which is the New Orleans Pelicans.
0: So we, we like the Pelicans, and, and, and we like the Pelicans with some heavy caveats. So, you know, here's the scenario where I see that this is a really good team. I mean, again, I think, one, Anthony Davis has to stay healthy. I think we both kinda of think that Omar Oceek will be a much better player this year. He'll be back to form because I think one, he'll like what he's doing and he won't be kind of, you know, going through the oh, I hate what I'm doing. I actually kinda of think that they have to play Ryan Anderson, they have to run Ryan Anderson out of the three. And I think before anybody argues, I think the fact that if you're running Ryan Anderson and and, and, and and Anthony Davis out there you know both of them kind of can, can go outside and shoot and that'll give you some stretch I think then you start getting into the interesting spots because I think you know, I'm assuming that'll be drew right at the at the point guard position and You know, I think that the shooting guard. I'm hoping that Gordon is healthy So it's kind of if, if that's if those five players are your, are your team and then like Tyreek is your sixth guy Then I think that's a really interesting six-man rotation for that team. And, again, the problem being that I don't know that they're going to exactly do that. And, two, I don't know how healthy those guys are going to be. And, you know, the third problem, obviously, being they're playing in the West. So even if even if they run out the perfect lineup, and even if they're, like, in the 45-50 to 50 win range, I don't know that that actually gets them in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, it definitely might not in the West. And the other part of it that that I think about, as long as you can get the guys on board, and obviously we know that has been a problem historically, is sometimes people forget that you also have 48 minutes at each position. So while Ryan playing a little bit at the three I think would be cool, and I'd be fascinated to see how it works out, if you're giving a vast majority or almost all of the center and power forward minutes to those three guys, then you're not going to have to do it a ton if you don't want to. If it doesn't work out, and it's not a situation where you're playing Omer next to Dwight Howard and you get into all those weird spacing issues and all that, Nice. I think we both think Kevin McHale should have given it a better chance than he did. But you can do that, and you, I just think they have an incredible foundation for a team to be successful in a regular season format because they're just – a team that will just mess up other teams with the way that they play and I think Anthony Davis is on the cusp of not on the cusp of stardom, I think he's on the cusp of superstar.
0: Let me throw let me throw a curveball at you, right? So we think forty five to fifty or in that range is feasible with this team with the coach they had. So with Monty Williams as a coach. So imagine if and I'm looking at this roster, imagine if Greg Popovich was close coaching this team. So how many wins could Pop win with this? I mean, there, there's some interesting pieces because Pop might actually run out Tyreek at the one, for significant, uh, for certain periods of time, or do kind of the rotations he's doing. You know, I think if you gave Pop this roster, he could he could be more in the 55, 58 uh, win range because it's a really interesting roster. I just don't know if Monty Williams is gonna know what the hell to do with them.
1: If we can equalize health, I think high 50s would certainly be possible. I think that if they were healthy the the challenge as you mentioned with them is that if they lose specifically any one of their top few guys it's going to really devastate them if anthony, and basically other than the dregs of the league i wouldn't expect this team to do much damage without anthony davis you know that's how good he is and that's how important he is but if they have him and they have their other guys they're a tough out for everybody and they're they're a type of team that especially let's say you're if they're well coached as you said and you're playing them, let's say, on the tail end of a back-to-back, they're just going to be tough, and they're going to be entertaining. I also think they're going to have better crowds, and while I don't think that's a huge factor, it definitely does matter a little bit. And as you and I have talked about before, offline, maybe even on the podcast, being in a city that players enjoy, let's say, during off days could work to their tactical advantage at certain points of the year.
0: Yeah, I I could see the Rockets not winning a game against the Pelicans this year. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely possible. Yeah, I can see the market's just like, no, 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 we're checking out. Just schedule him for Mardi Gras. It's interesting. I'm looking at the roster. They only have one player who's over 26. It's it's Omar is the only player on that team that's over 26. My, My biggest concern is, you know, I don't like Austin Rivers, and I worry that he's going to get way too much playing time on this team, where he really shouldn't. And if I could move that piece out and get basically anything back for him, than then I would because I think I, I mean I don't have an issue with anything else on the I even like a, I think Ajinka's is okay Who's their was their backup center I'm looking at like it, it's a, it's a very kind of interestingly built roster I wish they had a so the problem is like again you, you you're relying it's it's Gordon Holiday and Tyreek and the backups for those positions are are, are kind of you know sad. Right. So they
1: they, they are sad. Uh, the thing that I'll I'll be mad about, and I talked about this a little bit on Twitter a couple of days ago, is I'll always be mad that they gave away the chance at getting Newell's Noel because I feel like they that would have done a lot of what Omer is going to do, and then they wouldn't have had to give up. They would have had him for cheaper, and then they also would have had their pick this year, and then they could have gotten that perimeter player we're talking about, whoever that is, and then they could have built a long-term foundation. But that's a conversation in some ways for another day. Yeah. I mean,
0: and this kind of dovetails into something. So where would you have them right now in the West?
1: I'd have them a very strong 10th, as crazy as that is. I, I, think that, I don't
0: think that's crazy.
1: I, I think that the team that I'm very intrigued by, especially because I don't, I'm more and more convinced that they are not well coached, is the Rockets. I love the Rockets' talent, but I feel like they're a team that is very susceptible. But I, even with even with bad luck, I don't have them – below the pelicans no and I think, um, I
0: think i think you you can't i mean that team that team is not wor- that team is in no way worse than the team that that team will not be worse than they were last year they can't be i think that team will be better than they were last. i actually think that like one this is a team that will be. this is probably the team in the league that will probably be one of the teams that will be most helped by actually maturing and you know as you get older you stop going to strip clubs and maybe you get a little more serious about yourself and I think that's, that's part of it for that team. I think it was important for them to have that Portland series happen to them. I think Ariza, who's a guy who's... Ariza's way underrated in the sense that, like, Ariza's a guy who's been through playoff wars, right? So I think he's a good fit on this team in terms of somebody who's coming in who's actually got, like, who's actually done it before and and got to get hit on the shoulder. And I know Harden and, 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 and Dwight have done it before, but I don't know that, like, you know, you don't... Dwight and, and, and James are not the guys who are, like building a, a, a like a, a serious locker room culture, right? So I, I think that's that's gonna be interesting. I think the I think the Rockets are going to be at worse, they're exactly the same win total as last year. And I think and I think I think the I, I favor the up on that team. I think they won I think it was fifty five last year. I think I think they'll be closer to the sixty win plateau this year. And it's just I think that's that's a better team. I think the team I worry about is the Grizzlies. Because even though I liked their draft, I worry that some of their, their bigs might be past the expiration point. Because, you know, I, I think at this point, you, you know, once Sibo and, and Mark are that age where you, you kind of have to worry about, like, their continued health and, and how long really they can keep that together. I mean, I love Conley, but, but I worry that, you know, this might be a transition year for them. If I had to pick somebody to fall out. Of that of that eight i think i think the grizzlies are, are a strong candidate and again it's because of help. i think i think the spurs are the spurs and and, and the only reason i would like that so i was arguing with somebody like i'd pick the under on the spurs probably because i think again i don't think pop cares and actually i think pop actually wants to lose it i mean pop will throw five games on purpose right so we, we know this, <laughs> we know we know we know there's going to be games on national tv were like,
1: but they don't. But they don't lose those games. I, I was there when their backups beat the Warriors. They don't necessarily lose those games, even if they're trying to. Well, even, yeah, especially now that they they, they got uh, Kyle Anderson.
0: Yeah, Kyle Anderson is on that team, and and God, the backups on that team are gonna be crazy too. I love. I love the the, the second unit team on that on that team is gonna be insane. But but again, again, you you can't to, I think Oklahoma. And I said this. I think the biggest story, the, the, the hidden story out west, is I think the the West is going to go. It, a lot of it's going to depend on how good Stephen Adams is this year. I think if Stephen Adams continues to grow and, and he becomes the player I think he can be, then I think Oklahoma is going to be something completely different, because and that's going to be really interesting. Because I mean, I think I think it's the Aussie is the one who's actually going to make the difference in that, in that matchup. So, I mean, you've got them. You've got the Clippers who I think will be, you know, the Clippers are going to be there, right? I think, you know, I think, uh, you know, can I I take out the Warriors? Again, I think the Warriors might be another team that might regress because, and again, it's not down to talent. I think it's down to I don't know that the the Warriors can actually have the degree of health they had last year again, right? Even though I like Kerr a little more than Jackson, I don't know that you can sustain with – that, with that roster, right? With that roster, I don't know that they can sustain the health that they had last year, right? At times, that team looked like the best team in basketball, but they couldn't stay at that level consistently because of health, right? I mean, you, you're, you watch a lot of Warriors games. Do you kind of agree with that assessment that I just said? Bottom.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with it. I agree with it largely. I do think, though, that the Warriors' health issues are a little bit overwrought. I think that part of it is that Curry's early career had a couple of long absences, particularly in, I believe, was 2012 when that absence was more strategic than injury It was more strategic than him actually being hurt, which is because they were tanking to get Harrison Barnes. But his ankles still aren't fantastic. But I think that... the only the,
0: the, 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 Go ahead. The only starter on that team who hasn't had a debilitating long-term injury or like a history of injury is is probably clay because i mean even iggy has had his issues right oh yeah but then but david lee has had his issues bogut definitely has had his issues so you, you know in your top five you got four guys that have had issues so i'm like Yeah it's it's a team where i said look if if they're healthy right it's lightning in the bottle if the warriors are 100 healthy going into the playoffs then, God, I don't want to see him in in, in in any series. And I think they have a bunch of chance of making the finals. But I don't know that that's more than a 5 to 10% uh, odds of that happening, of every one of those guys being 100% coming into the playoffs, right? And, and that's, I think, the problem with the roster the way that I wish, I said, this is why I wish they'd gotten out and, and gotten Kevin Love because it would have made, I mean, that would have taken that team to a completely different level because then even if they show up at 90%, that I'm thinking it's going to take like a miracle to stop them from getting to the to the conference finals, at least.
1: And that, to me, is where the lines of division are in the West, is you have two teams in the Spurs and the Thunder that, barring catastrophe, should be in. And, bar, and I would say barring mild catastrophe should be in the top hosting seats and probably the top two. Every other team... I I can't say that about. Them. Well, you know, I think, that's I think, how strong everybody is.
0: I think the Rockets. They're. And I'm trying to put. They're, they're like the. Are you are you a wrestling fan at all?
1: Yeah, i not as much as I used to be. So they're they're
0: like Jake the Snake. They're, they're like Jake the Snake, right? Where like that, that that's the guy who like had all the tools, but he was crazy, right? And, <laughs> and, and and all the tools, all the potential, but it's like you don't know if he's gonna get. They're gonna get out of, out of their own way. I think the Rockets. If they, you know, you could talk me into the Rockets going anything from, like, as I said, like, 55 to 65 wins. You really could. Uh, it, it's it, it's that kind of roster. And they, they've got all these guys that, like, if any one of them kind of goes to the next level, then it's crazy. And, and But, again, again, you're playing in a conference that's just, that's just completely, insanely loaded. And, again, we, we haven't even gotten to the five seed. And, you know, we still got, like, so, I mean, like, the other team I think might fall out is Portland, right? That's the other one. Like, we kept kind of doubting Portland and they kept coming back, but, like, I'm trying to find a spot for the Pelicans, and i got to throw two people out to get them in, because I also think the Suns are going to be better, too, right? Absolutely, so,
1: uh, and and the other part of this that I think is, is the big question in the West, or in some ways, is that, to me, other than the Spurs and Popovich, the teams with the most talent aren't the teams with the best coaches. I think Carlisle is one of the best coaches in the league. I think Terry Stotts is a great coach. I think Doc Rivers is a good regular season coach. I think he's a little overrated as a playoff coach. You and I may differ given your Celtics history. Uh, uh, but so, but I think that the teams, and the Suns are another example of this. I love Hornacek as a coach. I feel like those teams at the bottom are really well coached, and I feel like that – so how that shakes out is going to be fascinating because I think the Rockets, as you said, I think their, their high-level talent is phenomenal. I think that their mid-level talent is also good, and the other part of the Rockets is that the way their teams are structured generally, they have opportunities for somebody to outperform their current slot. I, I don't know, and I, I don't with by Patrick and whoever. I
0: don't know why. I don't know why I think this, but I think that D'Antoni coaching that roster is inevitable.
1: I don't know why I think... That. Oh, I want to see that. Oh, my God, that would just be awesome. I, I don't know, Oh, I, man. I don't know why, but it, it, it almost seems like
0: fate. And it almost... It would be... I think it would be just... I think that roster is perfect for him, too. I, I mean, I think there, there isn't... You could not build a better roster for him. It, it would be the most insane thing ever. Because, I mean, that, that, team, that team might put up, like, 120 points a night in, in that situation. Because they, they have so many shooters. And, 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 and then they got ah, I, – I think somehow – I don't want to wish Will. I mean, I love Kevin McHale, but I, I think that he's the guy – because I think even Scotty Brooks – and, and Scotty Brooks has many limitations, but for whatever reason, he apparently also has blackmail material on the, uh, on the owner of the, uh, of the Thunder. So and I'm Presty too. So I don't think Scotty Brooks is getting fired. So I, I, I think the, the, mo- the most interesting team in terms of coaching change is probably Houston. Because that, that is a really talented roster, and I think with the right coach, as I said, I think D'Antoni would be a perfect fit there. I think with the right coach, that's, that's, that's a whole different situation. So, I mean, do, we, do we, we, like, we like the Pelicans? Do we like anybody else out West? Do you think that's like a dark horse there?
1: I mean, I don't think we can count the Suns as a dark horse, so... No, I actually... What do you I, think? I'm not looking at a roster, but I think the bottom of the West is just a mile worse. I think the Kings aren't that good. I think the Lakers aren't that good. Uh, I'm trying to remember who else is in the bottom, I have, I have, but I I
0: have, I have another team for you. I, I think Denver put the band back together. Uh, was, oh! Denver, uh, Denver, but Denver, Denver... But Denver put- except for Carl. Yeah, they, except for the code, Except for Carl. But they went out and they got every all the guys they had when, uh, when they did the military. They, they brought everybody back. So they got a follow back. And, and, you know, if Gallinaro comes back and you got Fareed and maybe McGee comes back. It, it, that's that's – I don't know what Denver's going – and, again, here's the thing. I, I think – were you there when, the, the, the one night in Sloan where we were watching the, 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 the Nuggets just put up that shameful exhibition? I think the Raptors were playing like a triple overtime game. And all the Raptors guys were stressed. I think Lowry went down. But they, the Nuggets were playing that same day. And, and I rem- what I remember about that is, is for stretches, the Nuggets were really good last year. And then they, they kind of, you know, it looked like they were, you know, in the tank of a sweepstakes. Uh, I, I, I think that's actually a decent roster if everybody shows up healthy. But again, I don't know what the hell. I mean, like, you know, are they a 50-win team? And, and uh, they could be, particularly given their home court. But, you know, how many w- – what's going to be the cutoff for the eighth seed in the, in the West then? Is it going to be something like – some ridiculous number like 52 or 53 wins? I mean, I, I it could might,
1: – It might be. I mean, you the, – the, the, the fun thing about the, the Nuggets is they it flies directly in the face of something you and I were talking about previously in terms of bigs, is that the only big on that team that I remotely trust is Kenneth Freed? And while the other guys are fine, I like Timofei Mozgov. I think he's underrated. And depending on how they play it, they could play Danilo Gallinari at the four. And I love Gallinari. I'm a huge, huge fan. I don't trust their bigs enough for them, like, if a game is close towards the end. And I think this is part of the explanation for why Minnesota was so horrendous in late-game situations. Is If they have to get a big stop at the end, I'm not trusting of that. Though I think they'll get a score on their end. And I think they could lose some games – that they that other teams might win for that reason.
0: Yeah, I think the problem was like I think the fit. And, and if we're talking about this, uh, I think the problem was the fit with Rubio and Pekovic was, wasn't great. And I think it just it, it was just something that. It, and again, the problem is like if uh, having Rubio kind of running that offense, he can't really make that that shot, right? And you know, it, it was a weird. To me, it was a weird, a weird fit. I think also there was some weird coaching going on, but there was a weird, weird fit there. I think for Denver, what's interesting to me is, you know, I, I was watching, if you're watching Team USA, I mean, I liked, the the best line of the U.S. rolled out there, I think Coach K kind of noticed this, was Fareed and, and, and Davis, and, and it kind of looks to me like Fareed's going to be the guy, he's going to get a lot of minutes on that team, and I think it's going to be really interesting for his development. I think Coach K is actually good for, for some of these guys, and that experience is good, so... I would. I don't know. I think Denver is sneaky for me in that. I mean, I don't know what spot I'm going to put them in, but they're sneaky for me in that Western Conference. I mean, there isn't. I mean, other than the Lakers, the Jazz, and like the Kings, there isn't a team in that West that I couldn't see making anything from like a a fifth seed to uh, like a a thirteen seed, right? So any of these teams we just talked about could make the five seed. I mean, I, I think the Lakers. Yeah. I think the Lakers are bad. I think the, I think the Kings. You said the Kings are bad. I mean, I think the Kings to me are interesting, because I always think Boogie could actually like again. Boogie could could, could jump a level. I don't know with that roster that, that could happen, but you know they might. There's there's a rumor going around. They might trade Ferrando. So if that happens, then that's that's a whole different team too.
1: Yeah, that changes it. I mean, I, I just don't think that a team that is starting Darren Collison and whoever they started the two can prosper. <laughs> I just I just don't see it. You know, it's in in this Western Conference where you're gonna have to play well in all facets to win a, to win every game. I don't see them having the offense to beat people, and I absolutely do not see them having the defense to do it. They'll be interesting. I think that they will win some games that will be very surprising. I wouldn't be su- be shocked to see them beat. Multiple top three teams in each conference. Yeah, but I would be beyond shocked to see them in the playoff picture when you look at the aggregate.
0: Yeah, and, and as I said, I think I think we both agree the Lakers are not going to be good.
1: <laughs> they're going to be terrible. The Lakers,
0: the Lakers are, are not going to be good. They're, they're... I mean,
1: not Sixers bad, but they're <sighs> the thing about the Lakers that's going to be frustrating in that sense is, and this is why I've been mad at them for years, especially last year, but in some ways more this year, is if you're going to lose a lot of games – then just lose a lot of games and, and grin and bear it. I, I think that they what they did is they spent a lot of money and they sacrificed some resources, not a ton of resources, but some resources to get guys that are going to help them in yeah. the short term I, I don't when their short term doesn't matter. I think here's the stutter from,
0: from a historical perspective for the Lakers. So two of the top five players in the league moved in this offseason. The Lakers had pretty much cap room for both of them. And left over, and not not one of them went to L.A. Right, and, and it wasn't like L.A. wasn't trying, right? So L.A. was trying to get there, like they had a shot. They tried to get the three guys. They didn't get a single one, and I think that's kind of you know throw that into after the Dwight Howard thing. It's like it's a different world for the Lakers. This is not you know Dr. Buss's team anymore. This is kind of a different generation. So I you know I don't know what the path is for the Lakers to get back to contention and to who they were. I think those days might be done for that team. And, 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 and again, I say this with a caveat that I'm a Celtics fan, but with the understanding that I think just from looking at what I've seen the last few off seasons, I don't believe this is an organization that like, looks like it's attractive to free agents. And I think that, that, that Kobe Bryant contract does not help. I, think, uh, until, I don't see how they rebuild this team until Kobe's gone. And, and this isn't a knock on Kobe because, you know, if, if I was presented with the same contract, I would sign it. But but right now the way that team is structured and the albatross they have, like I think the players are smart enough to know that, you know, that's not a good contract. I'm not winning a title if I go to L.A., right? So I'm going to L.A. if I want to, like, hang out and spend time on the beach. But, again, I could, I could do that in Miami too, right, and, and, and have a better shot because I'm playing in the East.
1: The other huge problem that they had this summer, you talked about them missing out on the top two guys, is that it also looks like the top guy in next year's class that they had a reasonable chance of getting, which is Kevin Love, who had roots in the area and all that. He's not going there either. He's not going to leave the Cavs to go to a decrepit Lakers team, and, and, and so then you're, you're sitting there making you're sitting there going, okay, well, who's going to be next? And so it's probably going to be two guys at the same time. That that's what I would Kevin, make the assumption.
0: I think Kevin Durant, is, is newsflash, Kevin Durant is probably going to the Wizards. And, and, and I've been saying
1: this for so long, and it's finally possible. Well, it,
0: it, it, but here's again, I don't want to say anything like that because and I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but every team's going to have max cap space. In the summer of 2016, every single team. You think this? You think this off was crazy? Every team in the NBA, every dumb team, every crazy team is going to have max cap space to throw at people. And there aren't there there aren't 30 like max guys. In fact, I've done the research. There's, on average, there's like seven guys who deserve the max in any season at most. So you but you're going to have 30 guys plus whatever. It's like so it's going to end up. We're going to end up with like something like 40 guys getting some ridiculous. Comfort. And when I say the max. It's gonna be something like a 150 or 180 million dollar contract at the max. If I, 150 at five years, and 180 at six years. Right? That's 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 what it's gonna look like. It's gonna be like TV. It's gonna be like baseball contracts for these guys, right? So we're not we're not that far off from having a guy get a 200 million dollar contract in the NBA. And it it it, it it's, it's not gonna be a good. A couple of these are gonna be really bad contracts. Right.
1: They are. It's not going to be Durant, though. No, Um, no. I think hopefully. Oh, it would be. It would be really bad. I'd be be so depressed if five years from now we're sitting here and I I know that this podcast exists and I'm crying because something bad happened to him, like Brandon Roy. But
0: I don't think it's gonna happen. Want to want to try want to try going to to the East. Do we like anybody in the East? Who do you like in the East?
1: I like Cleveland. I like Chicago, but I don't necessarily like either of them in the finals. I just think that I mean we'll see. I think Cleveland could add another piece, who's your and they could be a dangerous
0: team. Who's your three in the in, in the East? Let's see. If we agree. we agree on one and two. And do you Ugh. think – think, I think the Bulls are one right now and the, and the Cavs are two.
1: I would have the Cavs one, not because I think that they're a better team, but because I think that the Bulls are really top-heavy. And I think if, if Rose or Noah misses extended time, I think they're going to lose a lot of games. The, the thing about that is people – I mean, like, this team, even
0: without, like Rose, is winning almost 50 games. So, I'm, yeah. like, Thibodeau has shown, like, with Rose. So take the team – think about the team two years ago – you, and you added you added Powell and you added Biritic. So I have to think they're going to win 60. And, and Tibbs is the anti-pop in the sense that, like, Tibbs will not Tibbs will win three games he should win. So that team will win 60, 60, 60 64, maybe 65 games. Just in the strength that, like, Tibbs, like, is insane and will will play, God, will play Jimmy Butler 48 minutes, damn it, because, like, Tibbs is going to decide that he's going to get Jimmy Butler to ba- break uh, Will Chamberlain's minutes per game record. <laughs> if you're aware, that's 48.5 minutes a game because he played basically every minute but eight in a season, right? So
1: and, and overtimes, yeah. And,
0: and overtime. So I, I mean, I think I think Bulls and I think the Cavs because like, I don't think the Cavs are, I don't think the Cavs are going particularly going to care about the one seed. And, and but that's just my opinion. I mean, I think they're going to be like, they, I've got Ray, I've got Marion, I've got a couple guys on the team that I want to rest. So I'll run some weird lineups up, and uh, that'll be it. I I don't think they're going to care. I think they're going to be a two seed. I think I've got the Wiz as a three seed.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair call. I'd say it's to me it's the Wizards and the Raptors yeah, that are the yeah. most interesting teams. I, I think, and
0: you could put them in either order. I think the Raptors have, have some interesting upside. I think, again, they're, they're a very young team. I think Jonas could make a jump. If Jonas makes a jump, that, that Raptors team could, could be challenging for the one-two because I think that it's, it's an interesting roster. I think, And the other thing is I, I always think Mazai is going to make another move. And if they can move something like Demar for for a good piece, then then that team automatically jumps a level. So I, I have the Raptors at close to the 50-win, you know, 50, maybe 50, anywhere from 50 to 55. But if they make a move, they could be like in the 55 range, right? And, and I think that's going to be. I think the, I think the Wiz, It's crazy that we're talking about the Wiz and the Raptors in that 50 to 55 win range. But I think also the East is going to be really terrible. So 50 to 55 in the East. Would be like forty to four. Would be like forty-five to fifty in the West, right? So there's like the, uh, there's like a translation error there. I,
1: I think it's I think the difference is a little bit overstated, but I do think I was going to ask you this question that directly counter counteracts that, which is, if you theoretically swapped the Pelicans which with the Wizards, because you have the Wizards as your three, where do you think each team would would land in that conference?
0: I think the Wizards would be somewhere around tenth. Tenth to ninth, maybe in the West. I think the Pelicans would be looking at the possibility of challenging for two seats.
1: See, I think I think they'd be the three, but functionally that's pretty much the
0: yeah, same. Yeah, but I, but I think they I think you you you'd have the possibility of them challenging for the two seats. You'd, yeah, it's incredible. They'd be they'd be they'd be they'd be, they'd be thinking the same thing with Phoenix. I thought I thought if Phoenix had actually been in the East last year, they could have probably come out. They, they might have actually made the finals if they were in the East. Just because they 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 kept they 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 crushed some of those teams. And again, so so going through, we've got those. So who do you got at five? Five is interesting. Who do you think is the five the five seed in the in, in the East?
1: Miami probably. I I am not sold on it. I'm not all the way there. I think Miami and Charlotte would be my next two. I think, uh, but I love the Hawks too. I, I was gonna I, say, love I, think, the Hawks. I think
0: it's the Hawks is healthy. I like what they did. I think it's a, it's a bit of a, a fudge. I like the Hawks there. I like the the Heat. And as you said, the other team, which is the um, the, the, the Hornets. I think the Hornets, the Hornets have, you know, they added like a really good player. So, you know, now we're, we just did five, we just did uh, five, six, and seven. So who's our eighth seed? Uh,
1: I, I think it's coming down to Brooklyn, Detroit, and the Knicks are in the conversation. So Brooklyn, Detroit, the Knicks, and the Pacers. Yeah, I think. All, all, any of them has a shot. I think
0: there's a scenario where the, where the Knicks are decent. And that scenario is a scenario in which, in, in which Amare and it kind of uh, prospers on the triangle, playing with with Calderon. But the problem is like again, which is kind of the problem with the Knicks is all the scenarios where I see the Knicks being really good kind of involve something happening too. Uh, poor uh, Melo. I, I mean, I, I wish I really do wish they'd moved him for something. That would have yep. that would have been better for them in the long term. And again, this is not a knock on Melo. It's just like you don't want Melo as the guy making thirty million dollars on your team. Yeah, this is you not,
1: and I both. You and I both talked about that. This is not I a, wanted them to trade him at the deadline. I thought they should have moved him at the deadline and gotten some pieces for him and just said, best of luck. We're gonna do everything we can to get somebody in the class of twenty fifteen. Yeah, I think, I think if I had to, I think that I would pick
0: the Pistons out of that bunch, and and just on the end of because you know I think the Nets are older. We know this. I mean, as much as like Lopez coming back, you know, I don't trust the age on that team. I think the expiration date is over. They lost some key pieces, and even and I think I think Kid was Kid was a good coach, right? Kid figured something out on that team, and he figured out the right thing. And and, and, and Kid's reason for leaving was like, I don't trust Billy King. Well, I don't trust Billy King either. So I, I, I would I would kind of I, I would kind of say that I would I, I and I trust Van Gundy. So I think that the Pistons are are, are my eighth seed. And, and I think the, the, the Pacers are done. I think Milwaukee's done. Is there anybody else we think in that bottom that, that we can kind of think that comes up?
1: There is a team, I was going to mention this, that I would say their best case scenario is the eighth seed, and that to me is the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think they're going to do it. I'm not saying that I expect it, but I'm saying there's like a 5% chance – that day, because they have the talent. That's the thing well, that makes them different from a team like the Magic. Well, the, to me, and the, I I can see it working. And
0: the other thing is like we, we have evidence that, that Jason Kidd is a wizard. So so we we have seen him do crazy. I mean like you know and I've heard this on the halls of uh, of uh, of Sloan. We were talking about the Knicks two years ago. I was like what the hell is going on? Oh, it's Jason Kidd's a wizard, right? It's not wizard. It's just Kidd. is just make these guys play unselfishly. And there's some interesting talent on that Bucks team. I think that team, that Bucks team I watch way too much because I like Giannis. And, you know, sometimes you're watching stuff because you're writing stuff about a team, and that Bucks team was very dysfunctionally coached. So I think with a decent coach, and I think Kidd is a decent coach, and and, and kind of what's the kind of talent they had. Yeah, no, I could see a world where they win 38 games and get the AC. seed I, I could see that.
1: So... Yeah, the last thing that I wanted to hit quickly. I know you're running you're running short on time I'm good. is it was a lot of a lot of fun that a couple I think it was 2 weeks ago I sent you and Ian Levy an email because I love that I have the ability to do this and just said, "Hey, what are the best seasons by a guy who wasn't the best player on his own team. And that led to two excellent pieces from you. And I wanted to talk a little bit about what ended up being the, the fruit of that labor. So the
0: Robbins piece, right? So we, we did – so we looked at that. We looked at uh, – well, I looked at the, uh, the wins produced Robbins and the full history of the NBA. And that one I, I'm still kind of working through. The trick on that one is is there, there's some interesting things that come out. I think one thing is I don't know how in the world Terry Porter and Cheeks are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, particularly Mo Cheeks. Mo Cheeks was on was was on a crazy amount of finals teams, and he was either the best guy or the second best guy. And I know it just I think he gets overshadowed because he was playing like it was Dr. J then Moses. And I think uh, they, they, you know there's some those were some really excellent teams. I think the other part is they only ever got the one ring, right? And and I think that that Sixers team, if they'd won, I mean there there is a world not too far off where that Sixers team like won four or five rings, right? But but it just qu- wasn't quite this world. And I think that's what Mochinks gets overshadowed. I think uh, Stockton and Malone, but we know Stockton and Malone kind of come up in all of these. David Robinson comes up a lot because he, he just happened to play with some all-time greats. And I think people kind of forget he played with Rodman for a bit when Rodman was between stints. And that team was actually quite good. They were just, you know, they actually, they were, they were very, definition of a top heavy team. They were, they had some really good team of the, two players at the top in, in Rodman and in Robinson and everybody else on the roster was fairly, fairly horrible. But I mean, I think what was interesting is that you have to have these two guys at least, right? To, to you know, to, to have a shot to contend. I think that that's the lesson. And I think I said at the beginning, which is like, if you can get LeBron James and Kevin Love on your team, you, you go ahead and do that. Because that's how you contend for a title, and I think we've seen this with the Celtics, we've seen this with the Lakers, and we've seen the seen it with the Heat recently, right? So the the, the only team of, of the teams that won the title recently that was kind of homegrown is the Spurs, but the Spurs are the Spurs, right? I say I was gonna say formula, but they have a magic spreadsheet which which can be replicated if you know what you're doing, to to get these guys on their team, and I think. But other than that, you want to make sure the history kind of shows that. You need to get these guys together. And I think if you look at things like – you're familiar with when I did the whole thing – when I did the, that finals poster about the guys who were like guys who were like the common features in the history of the NBA in the finals? The whole NBA. Yeah, so, I remember that. So what you'll notice is like the Celtics, for example, back in the 60s, they would like – the guys that would, the teams that would fix in the finals, it's like, oh, hey, I like that guy on that team. Let me bring him over to the Celtics, right? Right. They, they would get guys from their rivals and bring them over to the team. Uh, the Lakers did the same thing in yeah, the Celtics in the 80s. So you see these guys who show up in multiple finals teams and multiple students. Robert Ori is a classic example. He's got something coming out on him. But, you know, it's no accident. He kept showing up on these teams because, you know, they're, they're, they are were like Phil Jack- He was like a Phil Jackson guy. Phil Jackson brought him to different places and the Spurs brought him because, you know, he was a, a proven winner. And there is something to be said Statistically, for getting guys who like get things done and do things on unsuccessful teams, right? I mean, again, you you have to pick carefully. You know, you you want to get Robert Ory, you don't want to get Derek Fisher, right? Or or, or Kendrick Perkins. You know, I don't know what team I could be alluding to, but that's kind of there 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 is a history to that, and I think that that study kind of shows you that that like that's what you want to do to win those titles. I mean, it's no it's no accident that the Sixers finally won it when they got, you know, the MVP to come on their uh, like they got a they had a final team and they got the MVP to come on their team, right? So which is it's like it's like if the Spurs had actually, you know, there was there was like story going out that they were trying to see if they could if there was a shot they could get LeBron. Imagine if the Spurs had added LeBron to their team this this offseason.
1: Yeah, and the other part of it that is I think underappreciated historically is This value of somebody who is okay being a really good player and not the best player in their team, whether that be in terms of perception or even in terms of the opportunities that they're afforded, particularly on the offensive end, and that to me will be a huge test with Kevin Love because Kevin Love has been the guy. And what we found historically, I think generally, and you, you can tell me if I'm wrong, is that good players generally do well when they have better surrounding talent. But he is making the shift from being the guy to being not the guy. And it will be a blast for me to see how that works out. Because when we're talking about Robins, this Cleveland team has some serious Robin potential.
0: Yeah, I think where you get into that, and I've, I've got that piece up somewhere, but I've written this piece, which basically when you put these guys together, when, like when, when guys plays with better players, when the top three is top heavy, generally the performance improves. And oh, up there's a point of diminishing returns when you, you know, everything starts getting, when you get into like the 65 win territory, things starts getting wonky, but generally guys get better playing next to better players. And I think it's important to say the fact that like Kevin Love has never played next to offensive players as good as LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. So he's been putting up these numbers and like, you know, he's been the focus of the opposing team's defense. So there, there isn't a world like next year where like people are like doubling off LeBron to cover Kevin love so Kevin loves gonna get be getting single coverage and and actually he's gonna get get more open looks next year than he's ever gotten in his entire career this is gonna be kind of interesting I mean depending on what what LeBron wants to do you know you could see Kevin love putting up some crazy crazy numbers offensively next year because I think the other thing is I think You know, you you get to go from... It's going to be an interesting test for Kyrie because the, the wisdom on this particular team is he should turn himself more into a ball distributor and like a floor general. And just kind of with the weapons he now has, he shouldn't be putting the ball up nearly as much as he was last year, right? Which is... So I mean, in the if if I'm the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, my take is that Kevin Love should be my leading scorer next year. Yeah, that, that's that's the way I would structure the the team, and I think because that's how you want to run. That this doesn't mean that like, and, and I mean, and, and I think Kyrie should have a crazy amount of assists uh, on that team too. And I think LeBron should be the guy who just does things. I mean, like I think you you let LeBron kind of you know do his thing and coast through the regular season, I don't need him to put up 20 points. I need him to just kind of do whatever he needs doing on the floor and then take over when he feels he needs to, right? And I think at this point LeBron knows when he needs to do that. I would actually expect LeBron's numbers to maybe tail off a little bit, not just – and I think more – most, more. and here's this is from a fantasy perspective, and I would expect, like, Kevin Loves to kind of rise. And I think Kyrie, Kyrie's percentages should rise is my expectation.
1: The other component of Cleveland that we haven't talked about yet is in terms of rotations. The argument that I would make is that they should probably try to make sure that Kyrie is playing when LeBron isn't, not only to keep their offense well, but because if Kyrie really likes running the show, you give him those 10 minutes a game or whatever. I also think LeBron should get more rest than he's been getting, so maybe you make it 14 minutes a game or whatever. And if Kyrie really wants that, then you say, fine, you can get it during that time and have a blast. Who's do the, what you're going to do.
0: Who's the best passing point guard on that team?
1: Delvadova, probably.
0: Delvadova. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I've done the analysis. Delvadova is the best passing point guard on that team. He's, he's actually a pretty good player. Uh, in yeah, terms of, he's very uh, good. And it, it's, it's almost one of those, It's it's you're familiar with, when, like, when, when Magic came into the league, you know, he wasn't the point guard on the Lakers. It really, it was Norm Nixon was the point guard in yeah. the Lakers and another guy from the Robbins post. And he he was a really good point guard up to the point where, it, through when he left, I think he left in 86, he, he got a few rings with him. And I think it's interesting that there, 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 there there's an argument to be made that maybe you wanted to go to and Kyrie at the two off the ball, right, for, for segments. And, 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 and use Kyrie more in a Dwayne Wade role. And then have, as I said, have LeBron have LeBron and Marion kind of do the, the their their thing and it actually there there might be a world where you're going where you're going Delodova, Kyrie Miller or Marion, LeBron and, and and Kevin Love for stretches. I mean that that yep that roster is configured is, is really interesting because I mean, I could see, you know, particularly in the East, some of the small ball lineups that team can roll out are, 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 are kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're a coach's wet dream. And I think the fact that they're coached by a guy like Blatt is is going to be really interesting because I think you're going to see things uh, coming from that team that are going to be Spurs like in like you know as I said I think the two teams that are going to route the most interesting lineups are going to be the Cavs and I think the Spurs.
1: Yeah, and LeBron is also a student of the game, and I think that he understands what San Antonio did and why that works, and I feel like he will advocate for that for the for Cleveland. So that that is two major components. One is not overusing your starters when you don't need it, and in the East they really won't. And second, using the regular season as a laboratory. And figuring out what works, figuring out what you want to do. You don't necessarily put all your cards on the table, but you know what works. And as I've said, that was my biggest criticism of Mark Jackson. And I'm going to put this here. I'm actually working on a piece on this. The most incredible minutes distribution stat that I've developed or that I've seen recently is what you could argue was the best five man unit for the Oklahoma City Thunder last year, which was Westbrook, Durant. Uh, Reggie Jackson, Collison, and Ibaka. Like, I think those are the five best players on the Thunder. I believe the number is that they played a combined 22 minutes together last season.
0: Yeah, and we—it's
1: appalling.
0: But we were like, if if you ever like, uh, uh I forget, uh, uh Arab I, I think he's made that point. I've made that point. We're like, what are you doing, Scotty? And 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 I've been I've been having this fight with like with with Andres Oliver, as one of my collaborators, which I, I keep saying like, you should be playing like. Russell Westbrook, like they played him in UCLA, play him off the ball. Have Reggie be the point guard, and I think if you watch the San Antonio series, that's when they were the most dangerous. I think the problem with that series, where where, where it kind of broke down and, and they missed Harden a bit, is like that once the Spurs kind of realized in that series that they could. So if, if you watch those series in the microcosm, kind of you know the the Spurs were killing the Thunder like you know that two years ago or three, when they when they when they ended up losing, and then they the the, the basically. The, the, the Thunder went small and they couldn't, they had to, the, the Thunder, the, the Spurs had to go away from small ball. But the reason that worked was because they had Harden. Now, like, once the Spurs figured that, hey, we can go small again and they don't have Harden to screw us up, then that's when the series swung this year. And I think where the Spurs were able to kind of, like, where the Thunder were able to fight it off was when they were going Reggie, Russ, KD. But once the Bacca got hurt, then they really couldn't do that, right? So it was, as I said, this is why I kind of say, I still think that the Adams is the difference there because the more you can have Adams on the floor, the more that prevents that. But but again, the point being that what you want is you want Reggie and Russ on the floor. And you want Russ in a situation like where, where Smart Coach is using Russ kind of, you know, in that, he's, he's in that Dwayne Wade role which is like he, he, he's doing stuff, he's creating off the ball, he, he's playing defense, he's a physical freak. You have him going off of breaks and going to slams. And that's what you want. Him. You don't necessarily want him making choices to pass the ball or not pass the ball. You, you, you'd rather have more of a point guard who, you know, we, we've seen that Reggie can play next to Kevin Durant, and the, the Thunder, you know, didn't really miss him overall records-wise or points-wise when, when they switched Westbrook to, to Reggie Jackson. The reason being that Reggie Jackson was more a pure point guard. This doesn't mean that Westbrook was a, is a bad player. It just means that, you know, Scotty should be thinking about using him in a different role. And I think that gets back to your point.
1: Yeah, we agree wholeheartedly. I, the way I think of Russell Westbrook is as an agent of chaos, that that's what he's best at. And while there are a lot of guys in the league who are really good at that. And very few of those guys are the guys that you want to run your offense. Because yeah. that's just not the way to use them, and it gets back into thing that I've harped on for almost a year. I've been doing this podcast for almost a year now, is the idea that a posi- a player's defensive role has to match his offensive role, and I think that one of the challenges with the league is you know so people are like oh Russell Westbrook he's he's a small guy so he should be running the offense no play him off the ball you can do it and defensively he can handle most twos in the league so. Why not? Why not do that? Why isn't Russell Westbrook the best two guard in the league? Paul George is a two, you know. Obviously, he's hurt for a while, but you know guys like that. And this nonlinearity that is present in the league, and you see it with Spurs. You see it a lot with with smart teams at various capacities. You see it, but this strange concept that players don't have to have offensive roles that match w- the literal height they are on the court.
0: Yeah, no, I think that the thing is a point. I mean, this is why I'm kind of salivating. With, again, I'm still thinking about the Cleveland lineup. So, like, you know, Cleveland could draw out something, like, realistically, Kyrie, uh, Dion, Mike Miller, Sean Marion, and LeBron is a five, right?
1: And, and or, Yeah, and, or the one that I want. You want to hear the one that I want? Kyrie, Mike Miller, Sean Marion, LeBron James, Kevin Love. Yeah, no, no two guard. No two guard at all. No traditional two. You just say, okay, between Sean and LeBron and maybe Mike Miller, somebody's going to be able to handle their two. You
0: can, you can still you can still run Ray Allen out for for like for like ten or fifteen minutes a night. Ray,
1: Ray, oh, Ray, oh, of straight. course. I mean, Ray Ray would. Yeah, you could. Sorry, I should add that that fifth spot can be Sean Marion, you know, Ray the, Allen, or or um. The more Mike the, Miller, the more we anybody. talk about the more we
0: talk about the Cavs, the more I talk myself into going like, no, you know what? That, that team really should is going to be the one seed because the more we talk about like. The possibilities. I think the, the, the adding of, of Miller and, and Marion kind of takes this to a different level in the sense that, like, it's a team that's it, it, there's so much flexibility built into that roster. It, 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 it's, it, it's similar to the Spurs. There, there's guys who can play, like, you know, there, there's there are like three or four guys on that team that can play four or five different positions. Like, three, like three or four, like, LeBron can play five positions. Marion, you can see him in. Well, he used to be able to do three, but he can do two. Miller can do two or three. Uh, you could probably switch guys. So there's a lot of flexibility in what the hell you can do on that team, which you know in the modern NBA is kind of the way to go. As you're saying, we, you know you might have a guy who's covering. You know LeBron might be playing, might be bringing the ball up, but he can also play the five up the, at the rim, and he's done it in a playoff series if you need him to, right? And I think that flexibility and that ability to kind of switch and match and, and kind of create mismatches is, is, is where the league is going. And, again, we saw this with San Antonio where, like, you know, the, the whole point of what they did was they were able to get four shooters out on the court, right? And, and I think what's going to be interesting this year is that, that they have they, – if things break correctly, they could have lineups where they're rolling out five shooters, right? And, and they, could, they could be rolling out five shooters and none of them is under 6'6". Six, six. So that if you can do that, then 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 that's a really powerful thing because teams that don't have the flexibility and don't have the personnel kind of are not going to be able to match up with you. And I think that if you remember that that Spurs uh, Grizzly series, uh, not this season but two seasons ago uh, in the playoffs, and, and I think that's how the the Spurs kind of jobbed out the the Grizzlies in the Western Conference Finals because the Grizzlies didn't have the personnel to kind of match up once the Spurs started. Challenging them and kind of trying to get them out of position. And I think that's Where the league is kind of moving is you have to be able to do this, right? So you if a team decides that they're gonna lock up the post, right? We're gonna put three guys on the post and you're not gonna get a shot on the post Then you have to be able to adjust your your personnel to be able to spread the floor, right? And if, if a team's going to crash on the three-point three line, which is what the Pacers do, then you have to have the personnel to go to the post, right? So, so it's like football. You can't just run the ball. You have to be able to pass the ball, too. And that's that's kind of where we're getting. You, you can't be a one-way team. You have to have the flexibility to do multiple things.
1: And what you just said is exactly why I am already salivating over a Bulls-Caps Eastern Conference Finals because there, it'd be such a fun contrast of styles. Because the Bulls, it looks like they're going to play very traditional lineups. I don't think we're going to see Miritich at the three very much, though I would be very interested in seeing it. But I think we're going to see a team that has legit size, that knows how to use it, and that plays really hard against a team that could be doing something, something that we really haven't seen in this way before. I think there's a distinct possibility that we're going to see something from the Cavs that has never been seen in American basketball. and. I don't know it for sure. I haven't talked with David Blatt. I haven't talked with LeBron James. I don't know for sure. But they have the potential to do it. And so can doing that with elite talent, as we've said, they have elite talent at the top, and they have a ridiculous, comical amount of depth now. Can that work? You know, we, and,
0: we, we, we haven't mentioned Tristan Thompson. Should we? No, no, I'm just saying, like, we've been talking about the Cavs. We haven't once in any of our lineups mentioned either Tristan Thompson or Anderson Barajal. Like I think.
1: We, well, Vergea, great. I think I, I, we talked. I think
0: it, we talked about Vergea, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. now that, I, as I said, this is why we talked about it, about it more, and, and and I'm talking myself more into this team because I'm realizing once you add all these guys, I got ten guys I could see on the floor. like, and I'm judging by like not this. I'm judging by the 2013 finals. It's like it's like I'm gonna my, my future benchmark for for any team is like if I consider contender is like could I have seen them on the floor in the 2013 finals? And there's like going to be like eight guys on that team that yeah i mean at least in minutes i could have seen them on the floor in that 2013 final right
1: and, i think it could be closer to 10
0: yeah and, and well i mean we start getting into waiters in and thompson and, and, and those are
1: the i mean I like, the, yeah the thing the thing about that about thompson is i have this residual bitterness because i feel like if the trade would have worked with Thompson instead of Bennett, I would have loved to have seen Anthony Bennett as the, like, 10th or 11th guy on this team. I think, I think that would have been awesome
0: I think it's be it. interesting because Bennett's going to wind up in Philly, and you're going to have Bennett, and that's, you know, again, I think the, the Sixers are interesting because, I, you know, and again, I don't know what the hell the Sixers are going to do, but there's a world where the Sixers win 35 games uh, because, I mean, I, th- I, I think Noel is that good, and then once you start adding some of these guys, I mean, I think... And, and I, I was saying this jokingly, but there's a real chance that the Sixers are gonna are gonna win. They won the Rookie of the Year last year. There's a real chance they win the Rookie of the Year this year. There's a real chance they win the Rookie of the Year next year. And uh, the European guy they stashed until twenty uh, until the year after that, so they could win the 2013, 14, 15, and 16 Rookie of the Year, right? And and, it, and it, this is I, I'm i not think I don't think I'm saying something that's that outlandish. I mean, it might be a 10 percent chance, but it's there. And I think. You know, you throw Bennett into that mix, and I like what Bennett did, right? I think he's he's in better shape. He's a better player than he was. And you put him in the right situation, it's going to be interesting. I would have, I think, I would have liked to see him on that team, on that on that Cavs team. I, I mean, yeah, I think I, I think what's going to end up happening is, you know, I think somehow Greg Oden is going to wind up in on the, on this calves team on this Cavs team. Uh, and I think, uh, oh,
1: that would be interesting. I, I think that the, his whole unfortunate off-the-court thing might have hurt that possibility. Yeah. But the the thing that I'm going to say on the Sixers, and I haven't said this anywhere before, but I've been thinking it for a long time, is I think they're going to have a really bad record this year, not because they are bad, but because they don't want to be particularly good. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them hosting a playoff series the following season. Oh no, I, I, That's how good I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be top five in the East
0: really quickly. Are you accounting for the fact that they have... They have cap room for three max guys.
1: Yes, uh, that is, I am. Account- so, I am accounting so, so, for that. So, so for they're, they're, they're,
0: there's a world where they have where they have Embiid, Noels, Bennett, Carter- Michael Williams, Carter
1: Williams, Staric, uh, top five pick, a
0: top five pick. Watch, well, I think they got. I think they have two picks next year. Plus, they have cap money for three free agents they can bring into that team. So no, no, I, I think there's a reason why people that, why the league is scrambling to change the rules. Because and I think I, I pointed this out in an article I wrote like two or three years back, which was like the whole age curve. One of the better articles I've written where I said, look, if you could pull a team of 20-year-olds that's like decent and just kind of sign into long-term contracts, your, your expectation is that that team is going to get better and better and better. And it's the Spurs model. You get to that point, you get into fixed contracts, and then you just keep flipping picks and just keep adding into the loss. And you don't have to hit on all of them. You hit on like if you, if you can flip things into two three picks, and just hit on one at a time, and just kind of keep flipping them, and don't keep any permanent contracts. You do what it looks like the, the Sixers are do. because I mean, seriously, I think a team with Noels and Embiid is something else, right? And and again, you throw in the fact that they have no bad contracts, and you start throwing players in. And as you say, I wouldn't be. Again, I think if they wanted to make the playoffs this year, they probably could. I, I agree with you that I think they they won't, but I think the year after that, they could be hosting a playoff series. I mean, they could seriously be hosting a playoff series.
1: And the other part of them that I'm really excited about, and I don't mean to slam your Celtics with this, but there are no teams in the Eastern Conference other than Philadelphia, maybe now the Cavs, but develop age relatively well. I think there are no teams that are really built around that window of about three years from now. There are, while teams will get there because people will hit in the draft. You know, if if Jabari hits for the Bucks, then the Bucks will be closer there, but. The Sixers have taken advantage of this market inefficiency because the New York teams have to win now for whatever reason. And Miami went short term. Basically everybody but Cleveland and Milwaukee I think went short term. And so while other teams will get there because obviously elite talent controls everything, the Sixers are sitting there going, "Okay, you know, we don't need to we don't need to do it right now. But when we do, we will be able to do it better. And the other part as we've talked about is they're gonna have a ton of money and what they're gonna need isn't that hard to find. You know, they're they're gonna need guards as we've talked about, you know, guards are in plenty of supply. They're gonna have their bigs locked down unless something horrible happens. So sorry, just six ten. So they're gonna be looking for less expensive commodities, more about more accessible, and they can do it with throwing them the same amount of money they will get anywhere else. So, as long as they don't screw up and as long as they don't have bad luck with injuries, I think that they will be in the position to be in the conversation. Whether it actually works out or not is part of what makes the NBA so fun, but they're going to be in the conversation and that's thrilling to me. Yeah, I think I
0: think the and I, and I think the Celtics are interesting in the sense that like they got all these picks. I think the problem is that you know, they have a and a, they have this tendency to overpay. Uh, the guys on the roster, and I think that's a re- that is a real problem. They they haven't been able to, you know, they, there's a bias, you know, that my guy, right? So apparently, Danny likes his guys and he likes paying his guys, and I think that's a problem that they they kind of need to get over that, you know. It's a, it's the Bill Belichick. You don't, put, you, you know, you pay people their value. You don't get emotional about this. And I think the Sixers have done a really good job at actually kind of going out and going specifically, and it's a different way to kind of think about it. There's always a real danger. As much as I, for example, I like what the we getting back to the Cavs. I I love what the Cavs did. I didn't like the extension to Kyrie, right? And 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 I I think I understand that now that all the moves have fallen, if the extension to Kyrie was key to getting LeBron, then you do it. You have to do it, right? But 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 I do kind of wish that maybe they'd let him play out a little more. Because I don't think he's earned that contract yet. As much as I like him, I don't think he's earned that contract. I think the only reason that contract makes any sense is you're getting LeBron, and you're also getting it at a discount because the salary cap's going to go up. right? And, 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 and those are the only two reasons I, 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 I like that contract. I, if I were running a team, I would have a hard time paying the loyalty bonus. Because you look at an operation like, for example, again, San Antonio. San Antonio doesn't play loyalty bonuses. San Antonio basically gets a discount because of loyalty from, this, from their players, right? Because everybody buys in, that's what they do for the system, and that's how they win. And, and I think you you want to get into a situation where people want to play with you to the point where like they're willing to take a discount to play with you. And I think that part of that is success in building culture. And I think, again, I like the culture that the Sixers are building. And I think that is a culture of success. So we're talking about the worst team in the league and then comparing them to like the two best teams, but I think that's because if we were venture capitalists and and like different teams were presenting their plan for building a franchise and keeping up a franchise, I think the the franchise is getting the money. Is Hinkie's getting the money, right? I think Hinky gets the money and, and and Buford gets the money, and, and 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 maybe Riley gets the money. That's those are the teams that I would trust with my money.
1: I'm I'm not sure Riley's going to be getting the money for a lot longer. Not only because I don't think he's going to want to do it, but because I think that. Riley, I think that he was great for a certain time. He's an amazing salesman, but I think that we're getting into an era of players that are less susceptible to that. I think that this is kind of like, in a way, it's kind of like what happened to car dealerships once the Internet got big enough that people knew how to use it. And so, you know, so they go, oh, you know, this car, you know, you won't find it for anywhere for less than 13 grand. And somebody goes, I looked on my computer. I could find it for 12, like 10 miles from here. You know, that type of thing I think is going to happen a little bit with Riley. I mean, he has an amazing sales pitch with the Heat. But on Kyrie, I think that the – as a general rule, I don't support guys getting full maximum extensions before they have to. But at the same part, this gets into the idea of basketball being more – than just the numbers and just the game, even the game on the floor. It's about the personal relationships and all that. And as you said with LeBron, I think that it was worth it on that. And also the huge point that you mentioned and cannot be emphasized enough is that he's getting the current max. He's not getting the, we're going to have to think of a new word for it, but the mega max is going to be what that is going to be. whatever happens when the new media deal kicks in because it's gonna be, as, a, yeah, it's, as a CBA nerd, it depends on the size of the cap, and the size of the cap is going to explode. It's going to so be at least
0: $30 million a year, at least. This is an at least number. I, my expectation is that, uh, and, and you, you saw the piece I put up. The number I put there is, I believe, a conservative estimate of what's going to happen. I think that is a, it's going to be a bigger number. You might end up seeing something like $35 million as a new max. Which so so basically you if you, if you sign somebody at at a fifty mil uh, level you signed them at like what the equivalent would be like a seven or eight billion like almost half right so so it, it, yeah I mean that's if that's the reason then you're locking him into a discount rate for long term then yeah it does make sense but you know it, it's, it's and I think one of my partners was talking about this you know the Eric Bledsoe extension when you actually work out the numbers let so if he signs with Phoenix right now, right? So that that's that offer, I think it's a a $45 million tender that 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 uh, the Suns are offering. He only ends up losing in net present value something like $3 million over the course of the next, you know, 10 years. And, and 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 it gets down to if I'm his agent and I know that Eric has like, you know, knee issues, then if you start considering risk, then he should take the contract, right? So there 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 there's there's an argument to be made that like generally the teams have a, a negotiating advantage and I, and I, and again i understand why they didn't take in this particular case because you were trying to get lebron so that's not what you're trying to do and and it's the, you know kyrie kyrie's agent functionally is lebron right so this is this it, the interesting hidden story about that about that, that 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 lebron going to the cavs is all these guys are with lebron's agency right so Functionally, LeBron is getting a cut for um like I think it's Thompson, Waiters and Kyrie are on
1: La Familia, is what it's colloquially called. It. I'm not sure Rich, Waiters is Rich, in La Familia. I, uh, Rich Paul,
0: Rich Paul agency, which belongs to which we you know it's it's LeBron's like guys, his friends. So yeah. functionally, he LeBron is getting a cut of not only his salary but everybody else's. Salary. So basically, LeBron is getting a cut of that Kyrie deal. Right? Is, is,
1: well, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's getting a cut, so but I going, think it might it might circle around going, a couple of ways. And
0: a, a corporation of which he is a part, a majority owner, is getting a percentage of, of Kyrie's deal. Right? Is, is, is the way you have to think about it? Yeah. So yeah, he's probably not getting the check directly. But but it it is a it, it is a check that is impacting his net net worth. So I, I would I would imagine that that, that Kyrie Max had like a, some sort of influence on on LeBron signing signing with uh, with Cleveland.
1: Yeah, it certainly might have. And and anyway, if Dan Gilbert is willing to spend the money, this is an issue that I've had. The Warriors have been frustrating with me with is that. You reach a certain point where you're not going to have the flexibility anyway. So, yeah, he might not be worth every penny of it, but you weren't going to use that cap space. They weren't going to be able to get somebody with that. So props. Congratulations. you got a guy who's certainly better than nothing. He's a whole hell of a lot better than nothing. And if you weren't going to use that flexibility because you're going to be paying LeBron, you're going to be paying Kevin Love, and you know, and that's how the cap works – then you're doing all right. And so even if you're paying him an extra $3 million or $4 million or whatever it is, you you're not. You wouldn't have gained anything in the first place. So it's not money well spent, but it's money that isn't killing you. Yeah, I can live – again, under the current
0: CBA and what's going uh, to happen, where it's going to happen in the current CBA, I can live with – you know, paying the max to like these middle of the road guys, as long as they're young and, and I'm getting them from like long-term deals. Right. So, so the, the, the Chris Bosh contract is a much worse contract than the Kyrie Irvin contract. The, the Chris I mean, Bosch contract is a terrible contract. I, I think the, I mean, it's not, I think probably the worst contract was probably the mellow one. And I think you can, if you know, the problem is like the Knicks, the Knicks can't really sign a terrible contract because the way the CBA is structured they, they can't even get close to what they actually make in terms of what they pay out to the players because they, they basically MSG and the MSG network is a license to print money, right? So so the Knicks would basically pay everybody $200 million a year and they, they would still make a mint of money and still be worth it for them. So it's a less bad contract than say like, so if, 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 if Indiana signed Miller to that deal, it would be the worst deal in the history of basketball, right? But the Knicks doing it, or like say the Lakers, like the same thing with the Kobe deal. The, the Lakers giving Kobe that contract isn't even going to be close to being the worst contract in the history of basketball because the Lakers are the Lakers, and the Lakers make, you know, I think their TV, the local TV deal is something like a billion dollars a year. Am I wrong?
1: It's not. I don't think it's that much, but it's plenty. It's like no. It's, sorry, it's, it's a lot. It's, I, it's, I think I it's think like a hundred. It's a hundred.
0: Like, it's 100 million, something like a hundred million. It's like
1: they, yeah, it's a lot. They
0: make. They make back. They make back more. Like they could. They could make back. There's out like the, the, the cap plus like the luxury tax if, if they were in a, in a super loaded situation just on their, on the local TV deal. And this is before we get into the national TV money or the ticket sales. So it, there's no issue there.
1: I actually disagree with you pretty strongly on this, and the reason for that is is something – I wrote about this. I trashed the Mellow deal when it happened, and the reason is this. Uh, with a soft cap system – I feel like the value of a dollar in cap space for teams like the Knicks and the Lakers, and we'll have to see how the Lakers' mojo changes now. But anyway, that's a separate point. I think that the value of their salary cap dollar is higher than almost anywhere else, if not everywhere else. So to me, them spending $20 million on Carmelo is actually more damaging than the Pacers because – they could have used that money to get somebody. Kem Durant is probably never going to the Pacers. Kem Durant might go to the
0: Knicks. But you're operating under an assumption that's not true, which is the Knicks Knicks bottom line is not affected by them. It's not affected to them as as, as affected as significantly as it is for other teams by them winning or not. We've seen the Knicks make a mint of money without winning, right? So for the Knicks, it's a weird situation, yes, but they're the kind of the only show in town with that arena and with the network and with the history. So th- for whatever reason, their brand is stronger than winning and losing. And again, I think you, Doug Barry's going to get mad at me for saying this, but th- it's one situation where like the winning isn't that effective of the brand. So for them really, it's more about making the big splash signings and, and like, it's more about like the star power than the actual win power for them. Right. So this is why, like, the Knicks always, the Knicks always buy, the the, 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 the Lakers always try to buy size, the Knicks always try to buy points. And, and, and yep. we, we know that the points doesn't get it done, size does. So, but the point being that the Knicks still make money, right? So even, this is why I said, look, it, it, it it's a bad deal, but it's not a terrible deal because it'll put asses in the seats. And, and yeah,
1: it's it. We just have different definitions of success. I think I think that's really what it is. I think that you know I'm thinking of it in terms of for them winning, and you're saying that winning doesn't matter. And I think that you're I think that you're right. I think that you're right that it doesn't be that. But what's frustrating for me is that they could survive not being bad, but being shaky for a year and using that flexibility to maximize and then building a foundation for a decade, or not a decade, even at five years. I, I think that. There's this myth out there that sacrificing a year in New York City would be devastating, and obviously it wouldn't be great, but winning a championship there is certainly a possibility, and I think that foregoing that, probably, for the next four to five years is silly. I think that there's no reason for the Knicks to forego that, and you're you're right, they're going to make money no matter what, but if you're going to make money no matter what, then why not shoot for the moon four out of five years, and then if it doesn't work, then you yeah. just eat it. Or so you sign a famous guy like Jeremy Lin. You trade for Jeremy Lin. Big whoop. It's all done. The Knicks, the He's Knicks,
0: famous. The Knicks are not winning a title while Mello's under that contract. unless like they get, Agreed. Unless, unless there is some sort of egregious mistake in the draft where somebody lets, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll draft. They, they don't even know own their own picks. But somebody, somehow they wind up with something. As I said, it would be something like, they don't even have the draft actually go Like they would have to get through. Like there, there are too many smart teams drafting for this to happen. So yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't see a scenario where the Knicks can actually win a title, right?
1: I'll give you one. They have their own pick this year, unprotected. The season falls apart. They get the first pick. They get Gio for, and he becomes the next guy. That's that's to me. That's the one scenario. Mm. And he becomes the guy. He hits his prime right as Melo's leaving. They let Melo go, and they bring in somebody. And else. And why
0: would the Knicks draft that? I mean, why would I believe the Knicks are going to draft that guy and not because he's famous and not whoever scores the
1: most points in the NCAA tournament? He might score the most points in the NCAA tournament. Okay, maybe uh, and, yeah, he might, it, except that he plays Purdue, but he still might. I don't, I don't, I
0: don't see the, I don't see the Knicks getting the number one pick simply because of the fact that I don't see them being wanting to be bad enough to get the number one pick.
1: Oh, I agree. I'm just saying that's the scenario. Like that the way that the way that it happens is that they get the best player in, in the draft and he becomes a star. That's how they do it. They do not do it by Melo being the best player on the team. They do it by getting somebody better than him by Hooker by Crook.
0: Yeah, that's how it happens. I think with 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 us, our, I think we I think we want to end with 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 us arguing about the possibility of the Knicks. Uh, Was I don't think I mean again I don't think you can win the title with with Melo on that contract. I, I I just I just don't think it can happen. And I think what's going to be interesting actually, is I think you know it's just like you know Amari's on that team, and I actually think Amari still has like life left in the NBA. I mean a, as a not as as the Max guy, but as a, as a vet guy on, uh, coming off the bench on a, on a good team. Yeah. I, I think there, there, there's something to be said. So I, I think there, there, there's a shot of Mari wins the title and, and gets a ring before the Knicks ever get back to the playoffs, which be kind of, you know, kind of throwing salt in the eye of, of Knicks fans, but you know, that's, that's what it is.
1: Yeah, if Amari can go to a place that he gets has a limited role and he can do that maximum impact, limited minutes, I think he could be a very useful piece. I think he has that left. I think you just can't ask, you can't ask him to do more than that, but if you ask him to do that, he'll be fine.
0: Can Amari, can Amari be Boris Diao?
1: He can't pass like Boris Diao, but he could impact the game at a similar level, you yeah. know, doing, doing different things, but he could be some other team's Boris Diao equivalent. Could,
0: could, could Amari come off the bench for Oklahoma?
1: Sure, Oklahoma. He could be the imagine him as the third big on the Cavs.
0: Or, or actually, you know, would be interesting. He could he could be the he could be the third big on the on the Clippers. That, that would be an interesting that oh, that that, would, that be, would be fun. That would be fun. Put him with Chris Paul. That Ooh, would be and and have him. Be, and again, he would. <laughs> so I said, there, there are things you can do with with Amare, and there are interesting things you can do with Amare. Because again, he's not a guy who doesn't take care of himself. He's a guy who actually works hard and takes care of himself. I think he just has some bad luck. If you put him in a situation where he's getting a thousand minutes you know and he's playing kind of a limited role and, 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 and it's a good team then yeah no I think he could definitely be you know again he could you know another place where he could be really good and it might be the best place for him is, is Phoenix like going back to Phoenix might be the best best move for him.
1: Yeah, I like him better next to a, a true rib protector, which I don't think they have right now. I'm not sold on Miles Plumlee being that, but I do think that they have they have the offensive talent to make him make yeah, sense. Yeah, I think I think more. I'm going more for a medical staff point of view. I think. Oh, oh, here, yeah. I, I, I and you
0: know that we we've seen evidence that that's best medical staff in the league, and I think that's you. You want to make sure again. You want to make sure it's like a team that knows how to take care of of a player with an injury, and kind of get him. To where it needs to be. So I think you know, like if i vibe his agent, I'm going like you know I, I, Miami, San Antonio. I, I, I mentioned uh, Phoenix. Those are the teams I'm thinking about that, that that have a decent track record at like keeping guys healthy and kind of taking care of the guy's minutes to make sure that that he's 100. That's 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 what I'm thinking. And again, as I, as I said, I, I do think Amari is a guy who who has some stuff in the tank, and and it could be interesting in a in a in a role player role for one of these teams.
1: Well, and we—how can we have a discussion on the Knicks and not talk about their most underutilized player, Andre Bargnani?
0: Oh, Bargnani—is he still in the league? Is he actually yeah, the play well, I think so. Well, no, I, I think—I think what's interesting is like you know that, that that's, thats the way that the Knicks season turns around. Like they, they trade Bargnani, you know, in, in 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 November, and and you know, obviously when you trade Bargnani, you make the playoffs. That's how the season could turn around. I mean, I, I don't—I don't see. I don't see any way that, like, Phil lets him in the build, building. I, I can't see unless he's specifically trying to go for the number one pick. Right? So there we go. He has, a,
1: he has a value. He has a value. They just have to appreciate his value. Yeah, I, I
0: hope Knicks fans are not listening to you and, like, talking about the possibility of Andre Brignani. I think the Knicks fans are – I mean, I think – oh, is it Clyde? Uh, that, that, that Milwaukee game where, like, Clyde was going, what the hell is this guy doing when he's striking that crazy – like, you no, know, like, I think we have ample evidence that Arbignani – should not be playing again. I think actually, perfect segue. So we we've got our uh, our uh, all time numbers up on way just wins. Sorry on Boxcore Geeks. and uh, you can go there and look at Bargnani's uh, player page for his entire career and marvel at the worst player of all time, and not 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 just one of the worst, the worst. And I think there's more than you know enough comparable evidence to know that like, hey, Bargnani went away and the Knicks got good, and and and, and the Raptors traded Bargnani and all of a sudden. Hey, they're like they're – like, they, they they had actually played a home series in the playoffs. They didn't win it, but they played a home series in the playoffs. You know, I, I mean I'm not saying that I could take Bargnani on a, on a basketball court, but I don't know that he should be on an NBA court, right? He might be able to fit it in like the Italian league somewhere.
1: I don't think there is a single better way that we can end this podcast that I agree with that entirely. Uh, thank you so much for taking time. It was an absolute blast. Okay. It was fun. Take care, man. Thanks. Thank you so much to those of you who persevered through the clicking. I hope you enjoyed it. And, of course, thanks so much to Arturo Goletti for coming on. You can read him at boxscoregeeks.com. It's a site I really enjoy, and it's going to be exciting to see what they do with their expanded database. And I loved the, as he called it, the Robins piece, the pieces that he had come out and was thankful that it, my jovial kind of question to him and Ian Levy turned into such a good result, and it's totally a worthwhile piece. You can also follow him on Twitter at ArturoGlotti, that's A-R-T-U-R-O-G-A-L-L-E-T-T-I. So that was great, loved having him on, and that was also a nice bridge into, as I've talked about the last couple weeks, the end of the summer and beginning of the fall will be largely consumed by these Division podcasts that I am working on, and the guest lists are being firmed up, there are a couple of them that are set as you guys know, I do not publicize who my guests are beforehand because I don't want to get people excited and then, you know, if something happens. So I won't tell you exactly who they are, but I am very excited. Some, some of my favorites that have been on the show and some people that honestly I've wanted to have on before and it hasn't worked out and they're going to be a part of this. So that is very exciting. And they will ideally start next week. I have a tentative recording scheduled for next Wednesday for the first of those. There might be one before, it might start after, as you guys know, that it changes around. But I'm very, very excited for that. And I hope to do some general podcasts intermixed as well. And I want to do some coverage of the FIBA World Cup. I still hate the name, but... I love international basketball. I actually generally prefer international basketball rules to the NBA rules. I love the goaltending. There are certain other things that I really, really like. And so we'll see how this USA team does. It has been exciting to see Anthony Davis become something bigger, and his mid-range shot is actually looking a lot better during these competitions, and I'm very excited for that because I think he's a pure power forward And playing him next to Omer Sheik will be very exciting for the Pelicans, even though they might not make the playoffs, as Archer and I talked about at length. So thank you so much for listening. As I always say, your feedback makes the show better, and you can email me at daniel.laroux at realgm.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at daniel.laroux, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, I read everything, I respond to as much as humanly possible, and I really do appreciate it, because that's how sometimes I get guests, it's also how I get comments, and do things to make it better. So, thank you so much for listening, and take care, and make it a great day.